Welcome to Stepping Out, a reality radio show where you'll hear real people sharing their true stories of what it was like to go over the edge and find their way back. And now, Stepping Out. We're back. Hi, I'm Denise M., and this is Stepping Out, America's 12-step radio show. Today's show, we're focusing on alcohol addiction. And if you think you might have a drinking problem, um, please listen to these stories and know that there's help out there. Just go to the phone book, look up AA, call information, ask for Alcoholics Anonymous. Just make that first call, and somebody will come and assist you. Uh, There's no reason to have to live like this. Um, And if you think you have a problem, chances are you might. But get the help. Really, just get the help. Um, we're focusing on alcohol today, and we're going to go to our next guest. We just heard from Tommy, and now we're going to go to our next guest. Welcome. Hi, I'm Kim. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Kim. And uh, it's good to be here today. Where it started, um, I grew up in a uh, small, beautiful suburban town, not in New York City, and, um, and my father was, was a very severe alcoholic. And, um, I'm an only child, and, um... I grew up very, very close to my dad, um, but you know he was he was a daily, daily drunk. Um, and when I was a little kid, I always pointed at his drinking and his bottles, and I said, "You know, if only you didn't do this, then everything would be okay." And and from a very young age, I I I, I blamed the bottles, and and that's just an important part of the story because, um, and I'll talk about it more later. But denial is a big one for me. Um, and was a big one and, and can still be. Though I pointed my finger at the bottle, um, around the time I was 13, 14 years old, um, I don't know what quite triggered it, but I started drinking myself. Um, I remember the first time I went, um, the first time I really got kind of blackout, throw up drunk. Um, I'm not exactly sure that was the very first time I ever had alcohol, but I went to a friend's party and I drank so much booze out of their parents' uh, liquor cabinet, like every different imaginable kind, and um, spent most of the night throwing up. (laughs) And I I think I turned green. And you know what? I have found something I love to do. (laughs) Go figure, right? Um, (laughs) This was the thing I had pointed my finger at had thrown up myself, got so drunk I actually could not go home. I was supposed to go home that night. And I, re- I called my mother, I don't even know what I said, and, and made up some story. And, and, you know, and there it began, kind of the pattern of drinking till I got sick and to, to oblivion, um, lying, that was an important part, and, and the whole cover-up and the whole mess. I think I made a huge mess at this person's house as well. And I was off. I, 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 it, was, it was my elixir. It, 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 um, I'm not going to say I was a happy lampshade drunk. That was not the story. I was less uncomfortable in my natural misery when I was that drunk and getting that drunk. And alcohol, I had a tremendous fear of people. You know, I was an only child. Um, though I don't think that necessarily uh, <laughs> qualifies you as being terrified of people. But I was an only child. I, I really, I was just, I felt, I was afraid of people. Um, I think I probably, you know, I didn't like who I was and, and all this stuff. And I drank in order to just kind of show up for anything, you know. Very, very quickly, um, you know, I was like 14 years old, very quickly alcohol became like the center of my life. It really became like the most important thing I thought about, like how to, how to get booze, how to get drunk, 
you know, who I would get drunk with. It, it sort of took on an identity for me. It was something I could be, you know. Um, this was in, in the 70s, and, you know, it, it wasn't the say no uh, era <laughs> yet. <laughs> um, and, and so this was who, you know, I, I, my personality could form. And, and, and this is what I did. And, and I sort of, it became everything. And, I mean, I grew up, I mean, despite having a, a dad who has a very, very tragic story in the end, but um, I grew up around the most beautiful art and going to Europe. And Where did you grow up? I'm just curious. I grew up in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania? outside okay. of Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the rolling hills of a collegiate town, I grew up with all these people and, you know, women pursuing their educations. I mean, I had a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I cared about was getting bombed, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that, that whole thing kind of plagued me for a long time. That I really didn't, so long as I was active in my alcoholism, I really didn't care about anything else. It didn't matter how much culture, how mm-hmm. much fascinating stuff was passed my way. I really didn't care, you know. Um, I went to Paris in college and sat in bars and drank and went to the movies and, like, saw American movies. Like, <laughs> I didn't see any of the cathedrals, right? And um, that's particularly funny if you know like, <laughs> more about my family. But anyway, um, so, yeah, alcohol became my thing. This was who I was. Um, I soon went off to a boarding school in Massachusetts, um, again, where I had the opportunity to, to do amazing things and study and learn and did I care? No. I was just, how do you get to the package store? Um, and I, I look young now, and I really look young. I was, like, really a string bean, you know, when how I was, like, 14, 15. I'm 41. Yeah, you're right? very young. Yeah, so I, you know. Um, so when, um, you know, when I got to this boarding school, it was a little tough, but I figured out, like, how to get booze. Like, I even, like... I took a driver's ed class, and I even, like, somehow finagled the driver's ed instructor to let me stop at <laughs> a package store <laughs> and fill up. I mean, I kind of, it, it, but it was, you know, it was all I cared about, but I did a good job, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You're successful. Yes. And, you know, I don't know, I, I think every dime that my parents sent me and then some um, went into drinking, and that's it. Um mm-hmm. And you know one of the one of the things about growing up in an alcoholic family is they don't keep track of how much money they give you or how much stuff, and so you can kind of get away with a lot of things. I used to steal alcohol all the time um, from my dad because though he really really suffered from this disease, also he denied it, and mm-hmm. so you could steal it because who's to say you stole anything if it wasn't supposed to be there in the first place? Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I found ways, I always found um, a way to get alcohol, even in the most remote places. And, and it really was, like, all I cared about, and it, and it was my whole identity. Um, I, I remember being 16 years old at this school and this nurse screaming at me, like, you have an alcohol problem. But I didn't really, like, uh, I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. I really didn't care. And, and though I had grown up with the pain of it, at a certain point, I couldn't see it in myself. You and I mean, connect it, right? Yeah, and, and it's like the denial, the tremendous amount of denial that I had in this disease. Like, I still today cannot fathom, like, how I added it all up. 
you know, how it was okay um, for me to drink like that, how it made sense. Because it really, like, logically, if you took apart my life, it was like, well, she shouldn't drink, right? But, like, that's all I was. That's who I became, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I became that thing that I hated and right. that I pointed at. Um, and so, you know, boarding school, college, blah, 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 it was all a big wash. I really, I, I probably went to five different colleges. I don't, you know, um, I really didn't care. I, I was, you know, professors would like me because I would try because it was important. It was important to feel like people liked me. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, if I could do stuff and pass classes and do well academically and all this stuff, then I really didn't have a problem, then I didn't have to look at it. And so I actually managed to pretty consistently do well. Um, and, and that was a way I was able to hide it from myself. Though it was many years sober before I realized like how you know, I'd overcompensated as a way to not deal with my own mm -hmm. alcoholism. Um, now, how's your father? Like, did he hold down a job? And my father, yes. So he, um, well, he was a functional alcoholic. Uh, no, um, okay. my father. Uh, <laughs> this being an anonymous program on the air, um, I won't get into his story too much. But um, my father uh, had a quite prestigious job that he had to leave. Okay. Um, and because of a direct result of his alcoholism, and I should say my dad is dead today because um, he basically drank himself to death in that. So he never got the help that you, that you got? No. No. Okay. Um, and, and his dying and my watching him die from liver cirrhosis hmm. um, really was what helped get me into the rooms. Okay, so... Um, and, and I can kind of move into that. So I was wondering if your denial, though, was a direct correlation to, like, him, you know, holding down a prestigious job, and then you could say, no, well, no, no it, it no. had nothing to do with it. Okay. No, it's it's more, I find that the, that the disease of alcoholism for me and, and, and some of the baggage that it br brought along for me was almost a, a sort of pathological denial. Like, it just, the pieces do not add up. You know, nice. I watched him die from this disease um, in the hospital, mm -hmm. last rites, and I went to some really seedy lumberjack bar in Pennsylvania, he died. So I was just starting to talk about how this disease had killed my father, and as I said earlier on, we were really close. Mm -hmm. um, I really, really, really love my father, and I think we're very similar <laughs> in many ways, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, and so... Basically what happened is um, I was late 20s. Um, he was diagnosed with liver cirrhosis, direct result of alcoholism. No way around that one. Mm -hmm. You can't even right. pretend it's some other illness. Um, and I was still drinking. You know, I, my, The drinking took a different form um, in my 20s. You know, In my early 20s, I, came, I moved to New York. I tried to... Um, you know, grow up, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it never felt like I really could. Um, continued drinking, but the drinking was less the flashy, fall off the bar stool, you know, throw up in public drinking. It became more the drinking at home, not really wanting to go out, not wanting people to see my drinking, hiding beers mm -hmm. for myself, 
in the refrigerator, like the denial was really creeping in. Mm -hmm. Like where I would really rather sit in front of the TV and drink than like go out to an opening or go to movies with friends or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It was starting to take that turn. You know, it was initially kind of social and, you know, I was younger and it was like, you know, I was being cool. But now it was like I was I I really hit out. And I remember it. I used to think I would still try to like, you know, because meanwhile, my dad is progressing to the point of dying from this. Um, And I'm trying to rationalize in my mind, like how I'm not an alcoholic. Right. So I would do stuff like hide beers from myself in the refrigerator, um, talk to friends on the phone, very quietly opening the drinks so that they wouldn't hear it, but then I didn't drink alone, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what drunks do, right? Mm-hmm. Drink alone. I, I, I wasn't ever a, a noontime drinker. I was evenings to oblivion. Mm-hmm. That was my thing. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure I did drink at noontime on occasion, but it wasn't like Every my day. big thing. Um, and, it, you know, I drank every day. And, you know, maybe two or three days of the year I would white knuckle it through the day and not have a drink. And that would also say, say I'm not a drunk <laughs> because I didn't have a drink, you know, the 14th of March. And, and you were working and functioning? And... I, was work- eh, I was working in a freelance kind of insane, oh. over-the-top mm. 80s um, kind of way. And um, I probably worked like three or four months of the year. Mm-hmm. And I, I was trying to write. And so I was very alone and isolated, and I was writing things that ultimately I would never then send out because I didn't, you know, no one would ever want to read it, I decided. Um, But um, basically very, very um, isolated and and drinking. Um, And I remember one summer toward the end living in a cabin near my dad's in Pennsylvania. Now, by now he'd been asked to leave where he was working, and he was living out in a cabin um, or like a, a chalet lake house thing in Pennsylvania in the country. And I was maybe five miles away, and I was we were both writing, right? We were both drinking. <laughs> and like, you know, and how it's it's like the insidiousness of disease of alcoholism. Like, how does that add up? Like, how do you, how does that become okay? You know, how do you make peace with that? Mm-hmm. Well, you just keep drinking. Um, my dad got diagnosed with liver cirrhosis. It was very, very advanced. Um, he did not want to talk to the people from AA um, in the hospital. Um, he continued to drink. Um, and um, was it, your mom a drinker or no? No, and she um, couldn't get through to him. No, no, no. Okay. No, they were had been divorced for a long time. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, a few months after the diagnosis, he was hospitalized again, and it was in August. And he died, mm. um, and and it had, tr- it had distorted his body hideously. It had turned him into a, like it was just hideous what the disease physically did. Um, and yet I would go home from visiting him at the hospital and get drunk every night, mm. and sit on the porch of the cabin and just like drink the beers I bought at the lumberjack bar. Mm-hmm. And um, and the night he died. I bought two six packs, and and that was another thing because I like drank every single hard liquor to the point of throwing up. That was really pretty much just drinking beer and wine and well sometimes some other stuff, 
But and that was another thing. Like, well, if I was a real alcoholic, then I would drink scotch every night, kind of stuff. But so I watched him die. Um, I did get it in the hospital that um, it's a disease. And I'd heard I had gone into Al-Anon. I should should mention this. Mm-hmm. I'd gone into Al-Anon be, because you know of, of dealing with his illness and impending death, and um, and also another important thing was I was in an Al-Anon meeting. You know, I was the here I was the quintessential only child of the drunk. Of course, I would go home after these meetings and drink. But you know, I nevertheless got introduced to the twelve steps. They didn't really make sense. I sort of like uh, you know like okay. Um, it took a little while to deal with the God thing. I couldn't, I didn't know where to go with that. Um, and I heard this guy, though, in this Al-Anon meeting. He stood up and he said that coming to Al-Anon made him look at his own drinking. And I wanted to kill him. <laughs> like, I just thought, you little, you know. Um, but I remember him and he was one of my, like, angels because I did hear him, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and he, you know, it, it was a message that I, that I very much needed to hear, but it took quite a while longer. Um, so I knew about AA, right? I knew that there was this thing, like I, I, you know, my father had tried to go and it didn't work, but, you know, so I knew about it. I, Al-Anon had been a tremendous, like, help. It was the first time, like, I was ever part of any kind of community, mm-hmm. and, and, and that part of it did work for me. Um, but I did continue to drink, and that was my big, huge secret in Al-Anon. Um, and so I never really settled in there. But within a few months of my dad's dying, like, it really was sinking in. Like, this is a fatal progressive disease. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd heard that in Al-Anon, right? And, like, fatal progressive, that that's sort of, that, that has an obvious meaning. Like, this can kill you. Um, and it really did. And it even killed my wonderful dad, you know, mm-hmm. my brilliant, wonderful dad died. Um, so I had a friend that I used to get blind drunk with and I ran into her in the rooms of Al-Anon and she was really clear eyed and she looked great. And she had been going to AA and she was on her 90 day count. Um, and I noticed she had a clarity that I sort of wanted, you know, um, and she and and so as she was approaching her ninety days, I said, "Oh, okay, I'll go to a meeting with you." You know, this is because it's her problem because she was so much worse than me, right? And um, so I went to this meeting in Brooklyn, uh, which is actually really close to where I ended up getting an apartment later. But mm-hmm. I went to a meeting with her, and I, you know, the the great the the grace was that I was able to listen, okay. I got the gift that night. Someone told a story very similar to my own. <clears throat> so I couldn't do this huge comparison of, oh, well, AA's for those kinds of right. people. Okay, first of all, my friend wasn't that different from me that I went with. Mm-hmm. And this woman really told a story and I and I, and I identified. And But the miracle is not, I mean, it is that this person was there, but it's that I heard it. You, you, like, your ears were open Yeah, because, like, oh, for years, people have been sending me stuff. My mom sent me all the ACOA literature, you know, children of alcoholics. You know, and, they, and, and I would just say, oh, shut up. Right. <laughs> like, but I heard it, and I never had another drink of alcohol. Um, That's great. It, and how long has it been now? Well, it took me eight months then to actually come to my second meeting. Oh, um, wow. Because I didn't... <laughs> I was the child of an alcoholic, thank you very much. I did not want to be an alcoholic. 
he didn't have to do this. I didn't want to have to go. Um, and so I white knuckled it. I had, um, I took some, I, I, didn't, I basically didn't come back to AA until December 15th, and that was March 23rd. You've been sober now? And I've been sober now, um, from that December, I've been sober 11 years. Kim, that's a great story. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing it. It was very inspirational. Thank you for listening to this edition of Stepping Out. I'm Denise Sam. I'd like to thank all of our show's participants, um, and I'd like to also thank our engineer, Rob Avona. Stepping Out is independently produced by Powerful Radio Productions. I'm Denise Sam, thanking you for listening, and we hope you'll be back next time when we all go Stepping Out. <laughs>